Thank you so much for listening to the podcast version of our show. Between the Sheets airs monthly at twitch.tv slash critical role at 7 p.m. Pacific on Monday nights and is available on youtube.com slash critical role the following Wednesday. To stay up to date on future guests joining me for a cocktail and conversation, follow at Critical Role on Twitter. Parts of this episode deal with heavy topics like abortion and death of loved ones, which may be difficult for some listeners. And now, let me introduce our guest for this episode. What can be said about Amanda fucking Palmer that hasn't already been said about Furiosa from Mad Max Fury Road? A bunch of us went to Amanda's There Will Be No Intermission concert at the Ace Hotel the night before this interview, and it floored us. I wanted to ask her about some of the songs on this record and tour, her Kickstarter experience, and how songs and stories bring us together. She had a huge impact on all of us here, and I hope you enjoy it. Amanda fucking Palmer. Hi. Hi. Cheers. Oh my god. The greatest drink of all time. The corpse reviver. The corpse reviver. Oh my god. Mm. We're day drinking because you just educated me that <clears throat> you're reading a book about sleep. Mm. And they I, say I read that it. I'm now proselytizing a book about sleep. You are now, you have now ruined my evening. Sorry. You're not supposed to go to bed with a bunch of alcohol in your system. Is the crux of what you were saying. Well, having a bunch of alcohol in your system ever is probably a bad idea. Um, See, why are you telling me this now? <laughs> well, you knew that. Uh, so all of the research has shown that if you sleep with a shit ton of alcohol in your system, all of the benefits of sleep are are really uh, compromised. Okay. And when you read the book, I could talk to you for two hours about sleep. Don't, and because so, I'm already going to cry enough. I don't, um, wanna, dude, don't take my, my beloved... I will tell you one of the most fascinating and interesting and to me uh, important things about the book is that sleep heals everything painful that we go through. So when we say time heals all wounds, this is true, but actually like the act of physically sleeping and going through REM is the physical act of healing from a traumatic incident. Our brains are really, really, really clever. They know what to do. They take sharp, traumatic, painful emotions, and while we go through REM, they just smooth them out, put them in memory banks. You maintain your memory of the event, but all of the physical charge and pain that you went through, whether it was an accident or abuse or it doesn't matter, like, we have a system yeah, for that, yeah, yeah, yeah. and it is REM. Yeah. And if you don't get REM sleep, you literally cannot heal. heal. And so a lot of things fuck with REM sleep. Yeah. And like if you are dead drunk every night, your body does not get the REM that it needs, which of course compounds. So, mm. wow. I mean, there's just so much fascinating stuff in this book. This book is so good. Okay, there were parts of it. it that made me cry. Okay. Okay. I just do you want to hear about the part that made me? Yes. Cry? Tell me. Tell me. Let's tell me. Tell me. Let's not do your interview. No. Fuck this. I've already scrapped everything anyway. So um, let's let's go where you want to go. So when I read this chapter about yeah. sleeping, dreaming, and trauma, I just started thinking about Neil. Mm. You know, Neil had a very difficult childhood, and you know, I mean, we all did on our own ways. But Neil went through some particularly rough stuff that he had to process. 
And then I read this and, and Neil, you know, I sleep with him. I know what his sleep is like. Mm -hmm. I know that sometimes it can be difficult. And I imagined him in his 20s just trying to process all this stuff. And I think mm -hmm. in some aspects being unable to. Yeah. And then I started thinking about what he was doing all night because he's told me many times that he stayed up all night through his 20s writing wow, yeah. Sandman. Oh, fuck. Shit. Yeah. Writing. Right. Writing yeah, yeah, yeah. about dreams, oh, man. but not having them, like not being not being in the space that was going to actually smooth everything out. And I read that. I put the book down, and I was like, "Fuck me!" Like, yeah. Given what you and this is about, and storytelling, and art, and arc, and how, and the dance between where stories come from and why we even do them. Yeah. And you know, and my show last night, mm -hmm. which is my own way actually of dealing and healing pain uh let's talk about that because connected. i saw the show last night and everyone prepared me and i was not prepared <laughs> how did they prepare you i mean i listened to the record i've i i i i went on some deep 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 dives and i thought like okay emotionally i know i can i know i'm like i'm like prepared for this i'm set but you have a way of meeting people where they are because you're so open about where you are, five minutes into the show, I felt like I was going to be the only person in the room for the rest of the night. And I felt that way for the rest of the night. I, I'm, not, I'm not going any, through anything crazy right now. But you, it still found a way to meet me where I am because I have been through some shit. I wasn't comfortable enough at the time to talk to people that were the closest to me about it, much less get up on stage and let all of it go. And I'm thinking last night, you do this night after night after night after night. The only way that's sustainable is if you're getting more out of it than even the audience is because it's healing you and it's driving you and it's taking you to these places. How the fuck did you, <laughs> how the fuck did you go like, I'm going to... I'm just going to go out there and I'm going to, because you went straight at it from the, from the opening. You're like, this is what this show is. This is what it's not. I don't want to ask you if, it's, if it was scary for you to try and take this on, but what, what, what made you decide to go, that right now is the time for this? Shit is lining up with what's happening in our country. You had no idea that was really going to be the case. Well, we should describe the show a little bit for people who have no idea what we're talking I about. I didn't want to spoil. I just wanted to let you decide how much <laughs> well, you wanted to say about it. I mean, all people need to know is I'm on tour right now, and the show is a four-plus-hour storytelling songwriting show and I talk really frankly about abortion and miscarriage and death and cancer and all these things that I've been through in the last seven or eight years. I think what's important to consider is, and I haven't actually really talked that much about this, so this is nice. My relationship with this, this audience, like whoever was going to be at the show last night mm -hmm. in LA, it is now a long-term relationship. I've been touring for a really long time. I've played a lot of shows, which means that I've not only been able to figure it out, like figure out what works, figure out what's possible, figure out how much I can 
trust, like how far can, mm. how far will this audience let me go? Mm. Mm. And what I have learned over the course of the past, whatever, you know, 15 years of touring is that the audience will really go a lot of places with me. Because but, they've been a lot of places. Well, and also and, they trust me to kind of take them there. You've got to be a certain kind of entertainer. I mean, the show was also really funny. It is it very funny. And yeah. it has to be. Yeah, yes. No one wants to go sit in a chair for four hours and just watch someone weep. Mm. I mean, that's possible, but that's fucking exhausting. Yeah. And I yeah. and I think as as an artist, if you're really good at it, you deliver the light and the dark as a as a sandwich. As a nice big meaty as a, sandwich. As a grief, birth, <laughs> cancer, sex sandwich. Uh -huh. You said last night, forgive me if I fuck up this quote, um, I was a little emotional. So again. <laughs> you said the job of the artist is to go into the darkness to bring the light. To make light. To make light. Yeah, and, and a good artist takes you re like really, really deep into the woods. Like into the darkest, dark, dark, dark. But they hold your hand like you're not going to be alone in here. We're going to mm -hmm. go into the dark mm -hmm. together. Yeah. And we're safe. It's this is make believe. This is art. This is not real life. You're not really dying. You're not really having an abortion. We're just talking about it. It's not real. Mm. But we're going to go there. And then we're going to leave. Yeah. Yeah. We're going to leave this place. But we know that the act of going there together is going to help us. We kind of have to go there. Because if we don't ever go there, we're fucked. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> then we can only go there in real life. And yeah. going there in real life is really fucking painful. <laughs> it is, but there's so many people that are afraid to go there with their art, though, because it's the thing that you, it's the thing that you are most known for not being afraid of, which is, I know that my people are out there, and I know that they just need to discover this thing and how real it is in order to connect with it. Yeah. So fuck the system and fuck... It's another thing I was going to ask you about. A song is as long as it needs to be, right? Like you don't give a now shit about. Is. Yeah, now it is now because it you is. don't have the yeah, yeah, you don't have the parameters. Although I I've been very curious about that and actually just talking to Matthew about yeah. you know, about Dungeons and Dragons and the fact that like people do and can have a four and a half hour attention span. My show last night was four and a half hours. People stayed. It didn't feel long to me. I don't know no. if it felt long to you. No. You know, and I think about this and like a Neil's medium is book writing and then mm -hmm. there's comics and there's like what, how long is any given thing supposed to be? How long is a movie supposed to be? How long is a story supposed to be? How long is a comic supposed to be? And why is there some kind of golden average? Yeah. Like, is it because of technology is it because actually we really just like in our dna we want a play to be two hours mm -hmm. and we want a song to be three and a half minutes like and these are questions that i haven't really pondered deeply until i started my patreon yeah and i was like all bets are off mm -hmm. i can literally do fucking anything i want i am i get to play art god it, you know, I can make a song nine days. Yeah. I can do whatever I want. Yeah. But a lot of it is also like, what makes you a good host? Mm -hmm. 
you know, and if you if you've got someone's attention or someone's come to your house or they're meeting you in the art bar for an art drink, like what are you serving them and what's considerate? Mm. And are you meeting them where they are? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And a lot of it has to do with expectation. And some of that was set up by technology. I mean, there was a while where songs were three minutes because that's what fucking fit on a 45. Yeah. That was it. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, I also, Neil and I have talked about this. Like, you look at a bookshelf and you're like, wait, like, how is it possible that all these books are the same size? Like, this is yeah. stupid, isn't <laughs> yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, oh, that's interesting. Yeah. I and like, thought about that. Right. It's <laughs> yeah. weird. And I mean, some of it, I think, is like, we're just unimaginative. We're lazy. We follow paths and trends. We, we assume that things need to be a certain thing to be acceptable. But also, the older I get and the more liberated I feel as an artist, I'm like, I don't know. I don't know. It maybe wants to be whatever it wants to be. And as long as the audience will go with me, mm -hmm. there's no one else making mm -hmm. the rules. You know, you guys are probably feeling this here now. Like, yeah. you're making the rules. What's media right now? Mm -hmm. Whatever you are fucking doing, whatever this is, let's just... That's the conversation right now. And it's also ignoring the trends, ignoring... That's been our weird thing since the beginning is people are conditioned for a long thing. Let's make let's make stuff that dives deep and goes to places and who cares if it's a two-hour interview. Yeah. People are watching it because, you know, I read this. Uh, who cares how anyone feels about Bukowski? But I remember <clears throat> there's a poem where I, he talked about... Do you like, do you like him? Okay. He's a it's hero. A, it's a tough... He is a hero. It's a tough gig, though, because, you know, you... you know. He's you also know. a shitty man. Yeah. But an amazing, but amazing writer. writer. Wow. I know. He said that his phone number was listed for years and years and years. He just left his phone number listed. And he wrote a poem about it where he said that people would ask him in interviews and shit, like, why do you leave? You're super famous. Like, why do you leave your phone number out there? And he says, they hear my phone numbers out there. Everybody calls me looking for the answers. I leave my phone number listed because I'm hoping one day someone calls me with the answers. Yeah. Also, maybe he got laid. He got laid a lot, and that fool was ugly too. I would have fucked him. You would have. Oh my god. Yeah. He's he's kind of your style too. Arr. <laughs> uh, last night, after the show, Matthew asked me what I thought because he's obviously seen you perform Dresden Dolls and everything, and I told him I said a four and a half hour one person show would be super boring if. Every song didn't carry the weight for me last night that the 10 songs that mean the most to me in my life do. Mm. And I wanted to tell you that because I found myself questioning a lot of things last night. I grew up very conservative Christian. I'm not that way anymore. Um, I'm, as you can tell, I'm in this building, so I'm as far away from that as... But I found myself still challenging old stuff because obviously the things I heard about abortion and everything growing up were a lot different than what I heard last night. Sure. Because I never got to hear the perspective. Mm -hmm. I only heard the rules or the law, if you will. The old law and the national law, if that makes sense. The way that you talked about it made me understand, I, and I, 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 my feelings on abortion are not important. I, I, I think it's, you know, I, I'm... I'm someone that is so far from where I was as a kid. I sitting there last night going, I don't, I not only agree with everything she's saying, I am upset that I 
wasn't exposed to this when I was younger because I would have given a lot of people a lot of different advice. You told a story last night about walking out of the abortion clinic and being met with what the crowd of people out there and how that was in some ways for you one of the most difficult things about that process. Yeah, well, that's the the story that I talk about when I'm 17 and getting my first abortion in high school and just going through what I think a lot of, you know, nice, white, privileged suburban girls go through, which is like you just quietly go off and get an abortion. It's mm -hmm. no big deal. Mm -hmm. and, the, and literally the most painful part of that day, physically, emotionally, period, hands down, the most painful part of the day was the walk from the car to the clinic and just feeling hated and being, you know, and being shown these, you know, like crazy religious protesters, signs yeah. of bloody fetuses, you know, being literally yelled at. And there's some great research, and I don't know if you're a fan of Brene Brown, I love Brene Brown's books, and she, yep. she writes about how um, that kind of feeling, when that happens to you, you know, and you're being shamed, and someone is literally like yelling at you and pointing a finger. Um, that is a that is a, a physical sensation. The feeling of of pain and fear, you know, that's not just emotional. It's pain is physical. Yeah. yeah. And I remember that, and I also remember the confusion in my head because you know I was a 17 year old lefty liberal feminist who is like, this abortion's no big deal, I just have to do it because I'm 17 and I'm in high school and I'm not gonna have a kid and you know, no one would. And I, like, I didn't grapple. I didn't, I wasn't, I didn't have a moral dilemma. I yeah. still don't, I just yeah. didn't. Yeah. But, you know, to be shamed by my tribe, because I, you know, I just saw these human beings as human beings. That is some old school, painful stuff to have your own tribe members looking at you like that. Like, you are bad, mm. you are bad, bad, bad. You're going to hell. And even if I didn't believe in hell and I didn't believe in any of that, just feeling that energy coming at me uh, was terrifying. My best friend, when we were, <clears throat> I wanna say 19, his girlfriend got pregnant, they were not, <sighs> nobody was prepared. Nobody was ready for that. Bad, bad timing. He was also a pastor's kid like me. And he walked out of the clinic with her and someone threw a Bible at her and hit her. And I remember that was the moment he left the church. And that was the moment he was like, and I remember thinking about that and going, that's not, what a metaphor. that's not who I am. <laughs> Whatever that is, I'm not a part of. And I saw this whole thing happen. That was my first ever experience with abortion in any way, shape or form. Last night you said, they turned the house lights up a little bit and you said, if you have had an abortion or you know someone you know that's close to you or that raise your hand i couldn't find anybody without their fucking hand up in that building and there's two thousand people there and i raised my hand because of that story and that shit fucking still gets to me and when last night the fact that some piece of shit who thought like i hold in my mind and in my heart, a, a truth that this God that I worship is is this ever-loving, you know what I mean? You see the string I'm putting together and then to physically attack someone who is a little girl. And I saw you last night get up there and with 
all of the fucking rage like it had happened to you yesterday. Like it happened to you yesterday. And I, I saw that pain that you just described. I saw a tiny little bit of that come out and be released from you. And I think this is how she's able to fucking do it every night is a little, that's what I meant earlier about it's almost better for you than it is for us because you are exercising and, and becoming more free it seemed like even throughout the night, and we're in the middle of the tour, this isn't your first night of the tour, it yeah. seemed like even throughout the night, by the end of it, you were getting more. And I didn't actually, like, I didn't plot or plan any of this out, and I didn't really know what to expect, but I have actually been... So first of all, this tour is exhausting. I mean, it's just physically and emotionally exhausting to get up on a stage for four and a half hours and talk about this stuff and, and sing and perform and Beat the have, shit out of the piano. Beat the shit out of the piano and have 2,000 people watching you. But also, I'm a professional performer, and I get it, and I do that, and it's not that hard. I am happier than I have ever been in my life right now mm. doing this tour because I've never felt more honest and liberated. Like, I just don't have anything else in there that I'm hiding. It's all... You just don't care, I, too. I, but, but, I like... can, but I really do. <laughs> it's like... In what way, then? Tell me. Well, it's so funny. I mean, every time I tell someone, like, I give no fucks, what, what's actually true is that I, I give all the fucks. You know, it's not true to say I don't give a fuck about what people think about me. I, I give every fucking fuck yeah. about what people think about me. That's why this is so important. I, you know, and I'm willing to be really honest about that. I want people to understand me. I want what everybody wants. Mm -hmm. I want to be seen and, and understood, understood. Yeah. and loved and yeah. connected and not alone. And this is the thing that I, you know, especially given what is going on in the country, it's like we are so fundamentally the same. Every person. What's so amazing to me is, is you know, these slivers of difference that are creating chasms of division are insane because we're just... You know, we, we are literally all cut from the same cloth. Mm -hmm. Why are we so afraid, though? Why are we so terrified of community when it's the one thing that we need? It's the thing that I saw in the audience last night. Capitalism. Yeah, Sorry. Capitalism. Um, <laughs> I yeah, mean, I it, this is a different podcast, yeah. uh, probably. But yeah. everywhere I go, everywhere I tour every strange location in the world and I've traveled everywhere. I just, it all looks the same to me at this point. Every human being wants to be loved, seen, understood, accepted, hmm. connected, here, now, with whoever is around. And I have yet to meet a human being across all lands, spectrums, orientations, who just doesn't want that. The end. Everybody's trying to find that. That's the thing. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, our culture has fucked a lot of things up. And I mean, a lot of it is so apparent just in these little specific th specifics that we're talking about. How we deal with abortion. How we deal with death. How we deal with birth. How we deal with healthcare. How bad we fucking are at taking care of one another. And how normal that has come to feel to all of us. It is very weird. It is weird. What's the hope? That we get better at it.
Yeah. How do we do that though? Because it seems like it's getting worse. I, I go on social media and I go, is there ever, is there ever going to be a time or is it just going to keep, you know, and I'm not even talking about politically. I'm talking about socially. We're even finding ways to be more disconnected. The, the internet can, can also put a very, very dirty gloss on everything. And I, I think it, it can be a very dangerous waste of time to worry. Like any minute you about something affecting your sleep. Right. Yeah. Well, in any minute you just spend worrying and stressing is a minute that you are not spending contributing to the revolution against this insanity. And this is how I survive. Like I I just do my work and I I don't question it very much anymore. Like I don't sit there fretting going like, "Oh, like should have I done this abortion tour? I could or or should have I done a Dresden Dolls record? Maybe I should have done a symphony tour." Like I just pick and go. Mm. And like if I get a project idea and and that's where my heart is taking me, I just don't second guess because I don't want to waste time. And I improvise my way through it. And I mean, that's what happened with this tour. When I recorded this record, I assumed that this tour would just be like, a, you know, I'd get on stage, I would play some of the songs from the record, I'd play some of my old songs, I would say goodnight. A standard tour. Yeah, what I've been doing forever. Yeah. And then I changed my mind somewhere in there. What changed your mind? Because that's a big leap. Partly, from... partly seeing Hannah Gadsby. That special, yeah. Yeah, have you um, seen Nanette. that? Yes, my fiance showed it to me and I was also not prepared. <laughs> yeah. And a few things. Seeing Nick Cave, remembering that I I had a specific talent and I, and I exercised a certain muscle when I did my TED Talk. Yeah. And I watched that work. And I, and I watched what happened when I did my TED Talk and a whole audience came to me saying like, wait, we... We understand what you are saying. Mm. This made sense to me. Mm. No one has said this in this way to me before. Can can you say more about that? And it's like I can fucking talk about this all day. I like <laughs> this talking. Is what I do. Yeah, I have yeah. a lot to say. You know, I come from theater. Mm -hmm. I was just again. I was just talking to Matthew about this, and we were talking about Dungeons and Dragons and what it is and and it, it was the first time I had heard someone describe Dungeons and Dragons as theater. And I was mm. like, well. Actually, yes, fucking of course. Yeah. In a way. Yep. And so is a TED Talk. Mm -hmm. Any TED Talk you have watched, you're sort of, sort of watching an 18-minute piece of theater. Yes. If you look up theater in the dictionary, the TED Talk checks most of those <laughs> yeah. boxes. Yeah, yeah. Is there a it stage? Arc. Is yeah. there lighting? Is mm -hmm. there an arc? Is there a story? Is there a person with a costume? Yep. Like, yep. that's all happening. Yeah. It's a scripted piece of theater. It's usually true. Yeah. It's a story. And and I think in culture right now it's really interesting to watch, you know, these boxes and these delineations blur. Mm. We want from each other what we've always wanted. You know, speaking of time and theater, like there were plays that used to last 3 days. People would just gather and be like, we want to hear and see this epic story again. Yeah. Like, again. Yeah. Tell us that story again. Yeah. You know, mm -hmm. and we're still like that. Yeah. Yeah. And I also, I had to battle a kind of, a, no, not a prejudice, but like this, this thing that stuck me about um, scripting a stage show. Yeah. 
because when you're a rock musician and you live in the world of indie rock, you have to battle the sort of pretension that like every night this is fresh and different and mm -hmm. everything I'm saying is off the cuff. Otherwise, it's really inauthentic. I just had this discussion with Zoe Keating, who's, you know, she's a touring cellist and we've both been touring for fucking 20 years. Yeah. And every musician grapples with this. So it's like, even if you're on tour night after night after night and you have a good story, you never tell it the same way twice because then you feel like an asshole. And you feel like you are lying somehow to that crowd. And it's not actually true. It's theater. You know, it's theater. Yeah. And my TED Talk was scripted. Yeah. And I mean, I scripted it to sound as honest and off the cuff as possible. But also, if I didn't script it, it was going to take an hour. I had 12 minutes. Yeah, you had to, you had confined. I also, you know, going and seeing Bruce Springsteen's totally scripted. Totally scripted on Broadway. Totally scripted on Broadway, but... But authentic offering. Yeah. yeah. I'm going to tell you about my dad's death. I'm mm -hmm. going to tell you about my mom's dementia. It's scripted because I'm considerate. And I don't want to waste your time, like, telling you this in a slightly different way every night, which would take nine hours. I have just considered you. I have economically condensed it. And I'm going to deliver you the seed of what I felt, what I learned. You know, and words are crazy anyway, and art is sloppy, and language is very sloppy. But you know, these are the these are the two hundred and thirty six words that I chose that I thought would be the best combination of words to tell you what this felt like. Mm. I really thought about it. Here you go. Yeah, this yeah. is what I want to say to you. And once I gave myself permission to do that, I was like, I think these songs work better in context. Mm. I could have played a show last night that was two hours and change and not told any of those stories and it would have been a good show. Yeah. But I'm not sure how you would have felt about those songs if I hadn't told you any the of those stories. The stories, because I heard, I've heard the songs, right? So, but then you hear the stories behind them and that's one thing. And I knew some of the stories behind them from the book and stuff too, but you telling the story in your own words on the page or in the song is one type of reaction and it's one type of it's going to get a different type of response than seeing you on that stage literally telling that story like i said like it happened yesterday with the same amount of emotional attachment to the source material for your music well it baffles my mind because it's just it's you keep it so fresh and accessible but how do you live like that? Because it's always just right there. I think you just you just stay in that place and you're so comfortable with having access to all of that stuff because- I think, I think it's like a muscle. And I think actors probably really have this too. Good actors, soulful actors. Yeah. You know, we all get good at stuff as we get older and you choose what you're gonna get good at, right? Well, sometimes you don't choose. You yeah. just get handed a fucking thing and you're like, fuck, I have to get good at this. I don't want to. You know, mm -hmm. like all of a sudden my partner has a disability. I'm mm. going to have to learn these 19 things. And I think one of the things that I've gotten good at because I've just exercised the muscle every night and lifted this weight every night is I can go straight there, but then come back. Yeah, yeah. And it's and the ability 
to go there like straight into the dark and come back goes hand in hand with, you know, and I'm going to take you guys with me. But like, it's going to be okay. Yeah. Um, you can trust me. I'm yeah. a professional. Uh, I've done this before. <laughs> well, and a good storyteller does this. Yeah. A good therapist also does this. Like, mm -hmm. let's go into the dark. Mm -hmm. We'll come back. Yeah. But we've got to go into the dark. Yeah. And, you know, to what you said about, like, what it's like on the page, what it's like in a song, I think we forget. But also, like, looking around at what you guys have created here, we also just know, mm. fundamentally, there is something about hearing someone tell you something. Not off the page, not in a comic, not through the narrative of, of film. I mean, all of these things are amazing and incredible and can tap into something else. But there's something about having someone look at you and say, I, I need to tell you this. Mm. The way we're emotionally wired to hear each other's voices, to hear the cadence of my voice when I'm going to tell you about my abortion or about my friend dying, like, and you're going to look at my face while I do it. And I'm, you know, and we're going to go there together. Uh -huh. That's very hard to do in other mediums. It's why it's still so important that we get together and we do it. You, you can do a lot of amazing things on the internet. Yeah. You can try, you can watch videos of people, but we know because we're thousands of years old and we have it in our DNA yeah. that there's something about doing this thing in the flesh that gets to the, to the heart of it mm. because this is the way we're programmed to be with to each have other that connection like yeah to have that connection and it's and it's 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 as old as the hills and it's really real and you do it i mean it's why we still get together to do it and i don't think we'll ever stop getting together to do it yeah. because nothing is quite like that mm -hmm. i'm still super raw from last night obviously because i'm just listening to the beautiful way you're describing stuff and I'm fucking crying. But I felt really closer. Nice to watch you, cry, by the way. <laughs> you should have some of your corpse reviver. I felt closer to every single person in my life after last night. And I felt like I wanted to be even more real than I am with everybody in my life last night because I'm like, what the fuck are we doing if we're not doing this? Because I was a heroin addict. I, I survived a lot of weird shit. I've, I've gotten to a place in my life I never in a million years thought I would be. I'm super open and honest without, with, with my struggles, with past, present, all of it. And last night I learned that there's another layer of honesty to get to that in, my, in my own work that I haven't gotten to yet. And the reason why it hit me so hard is that it was my own reaction last night. Going, I'm happy, I'm, I have, I'm, I'm I, I, like I said, I haven't experienced any stuff. What's going on? And I realized, like, it was, it was, I've, ne I've never met you until this afternoon. But last night you were, you were talking to me and you were talking to the person next to me and the person behind me and all of us felt that same thing. And I just went, there's another layer of honesty to art that we have to get to and you're not afraid to do it 
you're also seeing the reward. You're not seeing the commercial benefit of a two hour show where maybe more people would be, you know, likely to just show up on their popcorn date. No, dude, last night you were like, this is never going to Vegas. (laughs) Yeah, Vegas might have a little bit of a tough time with Um, this one. But you see what I'm saying? Like I, yeah, I felt well, closer to everyone in my life because I said I so felt like I should be more. That's honest. how I felt at Hannah Gadsby's show. Yeah, I sat yeah. there in the audience and was like, "Oh, like I have another layer of I'm not trying hard enough." Fuck yeah. And I and I know it. It wasn't just an inkling. Like maybe I could. I was just like, if she can do it. Oh, and she's doing it, and she's really. She's just like mm-hmm. unapologetically doing it. Why am I not doing it? And I mean, what's interesting is this was this I saw her show right as Me Too was breaking open. Oh, right, yeah. And Harvey Weinstein was breaking open. It was all breaking open. And it's the same thing. The feeling that I felt sitting there watching Hannah Gadsby just go like, I'm just gonna go there. You're gonna have to go with me and I'm going to take you into the truth. Mm-hmm shamelessly yeah is the same and the feeling that i had sitting in that seat you know 20 feet from her going like oh shit then what am i supposed to do is the same thing that all of these women felt watching one woman standing up and going like gonna just tell the truth Mm. we have more to lose at this point than we have to gain by not telling the truth so i'm gonna stand up and do it yeah and now I have to. Mm-hmm. I have to because she just did it. And the and you watch like the wildfire, domino effect. And this will happen across culture, like across art. You were asking me about hope. Yeah. Like it's this. It's that. It's this. It's that like, one by one, really quickly, all of these artists, all of these women, especially right now, all of these people of color are just like fuck this Mm -hmm. it's not working Mm -hmm. like the way we're doing it it's not working yeah it's easy to see (laughs) right we're doing a bad job at taking care of each other we're going to have to fix this ourselves Mm -hmm. like these people aren't fixing it yeah they do not have our best interests in mind and if we sit and wait around and we don't stand up it's this is just going to be a shit show who's going to yeah. And also, like, on the emotional side, and I mentioned it during the show, watching Nick Cave. And Nick Cave doesn't get up and do a Bruce mm-hmm. Springsteen-style storytelling show about his son's death. But he doesn't need to. Because we all, 5,000 of us in the audience, we know. Mm-hmm. And his grace in how he's been doing his career for the past few years, which is, like, instead of doing the typically male rock star thing of like, nope, you you guys fuck off. I need to close the doors and go deal with this. And he just went like, come with me in here. Let's Mm -hmm. go to this place together. Mm -hmm. I need you to get through this. Like, let's all just go. And watching his show And, like, you have to understand, like, my relationship as a 14-year-old with Nick Cave is, like, he's just this, like, swaggering dude in a suit. Yeah. Super macho, super male, 
very detached, very distant, you know, also like heroin chic, all the cool mm -hmm. shit, like in, this inaccessible man, dude. Uh -huh. And, you know, and I connected with and loved his music, but at a level, mm -hmm. right? And to watch that guy who was like all swagger and bravado and like Southern death stories and, you know, like a cartoon almost of a rock star, to watch him go like, I don't know. Come into my pain with me and yeah, mm. and like actually watch him. If you've seen his documentary, uh, one more time with feeling, which was like amazing that he invited a film crew yeah. into the making of this record, and he's just like, I don't know. I know I. This is the way I need to do it, and I and I look at his relationship with his career and his audience and mine, and we have something in common there. Because he, I'm not sure he would have been able to do that 10, 15 so. years ago. I don't, I think you're right. I... But we've both been in long-term relationships with our audiences, like long enough. Like it's like a marriage at this point. These people know him. My fans, they, they know me. This is not a new relationship. This is like level five. And if you're at that point in your relationship, you're you're allowed to be ugly. Yeah. You're allowed to look wrong. You're allowed to stumble and just go like, I don't I don't know right now. Let's can you just hold my hand and can we just go through this together? I actually don't know. I'm lost. You know, everything has been building to this. Yeah. I need you. Mm. And I mean, literally like watching Nick Cave at these shows, like holding his hand out and all these people in the audience just like, yeah, we, we're here. We're here. Yeah. Yeah. We get it. Yeah. And like, yeah, not a word needed to be said on stage about like, so last year, like we know. Yeah, we knew. We knew. Yeah. And that just all reminded me like, right. Like he could do this the old school way and just like power through and just, you know, play his hits. Or he could, he get, could do this. He could get healing yeah. or he could get healing and in turn heal back, right? right? So that also kicked my ass. You know, it just reminded me like, this is how artists evolve. It's like evolve or die. You can just like play your hits and laminate yourself and try to give people what they want. Or, or you can like stumble into the dark, keep it real, and hope that it fucking works. And that's that's the correct way to stumble. Yeah. I just wanted to ask you. I mean, you mentioned it in an offhand way, but it was news to me. You said that you had been a heroin addict. And yeah, I, my early twenties. So, did that part of my show hit a nerve? I started sobbing uncontrollably when you <clears throat> told that story. And I had my fiance and my friends sort of, I was sobbing into my fiance's uh, scarf. And um, you know, what's weird is I, I read a lot about the opiate epidemic. I'm very much involved in that whole thing because pills is how I got started on all that stuff. And I read a lot of really sad stories. I have a lot of really sad stories. I watch a lot of really sad stories about this stuff because is weirdly this chapter of my life that has defined where I am now in a good way. Yeah. I've I've comfortably come to grips with that. 
your connection to your ex-boyfriend who passed away, who was a heroin addict, the thought of ever leaving someone with that pain from my choices is what got me last night. I, I hadn't gone there really. I've, I, it's so weird. I've been off of this shit for over 10 years. Like I, I, I've gone everywhere. But something about the way that you told that story last night and the way that you described it, you were describing me as the, that kid. W were you 19? How old were you? He was 20. He was 20. I was 19. I just hadn't thought, I hadn't, I'd thought about like, oh, it would have sucked if I had OD'd and left my family. It would have been <clears throat> devastated and crushed, but I don't know. Yeah, something about that just, it, it, it hit me really hard and I woke up today thinking about it and feeling very good about it because I just felt like anytime you go somewhere you haven't yet, you either meet that with fear or faith. And I felt like I woke up today and was like, I'm, I'm faithful. I'm, I'm, I have faith about this. Like, I'm, I'm happy I went there. I'm happy you were able to take me there. Well, and you're here. Mm -hmm. Like, that's the thing. You, you made it and he didn't. And that's, ma that's massive. Like, we're, you know, here we get to sit and have drinks and breathe air. Yeah, <laughs> I know. I think about it all the time. I think about it all the time. Well, storytelling is part of how, maybe all of how we keep people alive. Mm -hmm. And I mean, alive is a clunky word. But, you know, the more people you lose when they die, the more you realize that, like, death is a fuzzy line. I mean, part of what I've felt doing this tour is that, you know, Anthony's still around. I talk about him in the show, like his, you know, his whatever you want to call it, his legacy, his cells, like whatever he carried with him, whatever he gave to me, whatever's going to go to my son, whatever's going to wind up in you and then wind up in someone else, like that's very real. It's that's that aliveness is still alive. You were a former mentor, and last night when you said his name, people cheered. Yeah. Just at the the well, first time the that book. you met. Exactly. Yeah. But he's like a hero. Exactly. Yeah. Which he would have loved because he <laughs> had his own, you know, he like had his own narcissism. But I think especially as I get more distance from his death. I, I have to remind myself how complicated he was. You know, he had his own failings, even in his relationship with me. Mm. And I'm just starting to unpack and untangle all of that. Is because, it hard for you to do after the fact? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, in layers and levels and eras of our relationship, and especially, you know, when he... When he was dealing with cancer, you know, he dealt for four years with a really, really in incredibly uh, tragic roller coaster of illness. Yeah, you said a bone marrow transplant. And a bone marrow transplant point. and lots and lots of chemo and lots of mystery. And, um, and worst of all, I think, um, heavy, heavy, heavy steroids, mm. which change you. Yeah, and you're watching your best friend you're watching your best friend like turn into a raging dickhead. And I almost feel like one of the best gifts he gave me was the opportunity 
to like find the inner fortitude to sit with my best friend and listen to him tell me that I was an asshole and that I had abandoned him and I wasn't trying hard enough and I wasn't around enough. And I was like, he's on steroids. I know I'm trying my best mm. and I know that everything he's ever taught me is about knowing that I just have to stay in my center and listen to this and know that it's not me. It's like teacher, student, mm -hmm. teacher. Mm -hmm. Right, because it <laughs> came back around. It came back around and it was really fucking hard. You know, I mean, it was like at the end, it was like I was losing yeah. my grip on my friend. Mm. He vanished. Yeah. He turned into kind of a monster. And yet I just like, I just had to stay in the love and mm. be like, I know it's still you. I know you're still in there. And I watch people dealing with this with, the you know, they're- he taught you, prepared you to handle him. Is, yes. Yeah. He, he got me ready for him. And, and also, you know, the pass off, like the poetry of it, that he slipped and died right when my son showed up. And it was almost like he was saying, like, here you go. Yeah, yeah. Go yeah. for it. Like, mm. apply. One of the funniest parts of the show was when you said, you're like, my baby was right here. I was hoping maybe some, like, <laughs> you know, yeah. Well, and in a way, that will be true. Mm. Anthony filled me up with him. That's what himself. I mean. You carry the souls of right. each of those and, people you've lost with. And I'm like, I'm Ash's main role model right now. You know, me and Neil, we're showing him how to be. Mm -hmm. Anthony showed me how to be. That's as real as it gets. That's stronger than blood. And that's how he lives. Like that's, it's even, that even transcends him living through storytelling. Mm -hmm. Because you're not only going to tell Ash all about Anthony, you're going to, teach him what Anthony taught you. And that's how he ultimately ends up living on as well. Yeah. And I mean, there's storytelling and there's that level of it. And then there's just what you show people with your being. It's a different kind of telling. That's the show too, last night. Because you weren't telling stories between each song. The whole thing is a story. Mm -hmm. And so instead it's, we're gonna go on this ride. It's gonna go up, it's gonna go down. It's gonna go upside down. Shit's gonna fall out of your pockets. Don't worry, we can pick I'm it up after. Come back to this. We're gonna come back. Yeah, yeah. Actually, I'm really careful, and I don't say that. Really? Yeah. Because you don't you don't want to you don't want to set any sort of emotional. Yeah, which is also why it's really mm. a bummer for me when people leave at intermission, because I'm like they they're gonna leave with all these hanging threads, not knowing where it's going. All of this is gonna come back around mm -hmm. in Act Two. Mm -hmm. You said uh, celebrity is about people loving you from a distance. Mm. And then I look at your... There's a second half of that sentence, though. I can't remember what I wrote, though. He only wrote I down think half it the was, quote. I did because I, was, it was I wanted a, to... It was a compare and contrast. It was about celebrity is about loving people loving you from a distance and real connection is about people loving you on the level. And that's what I think about the show yeah. last night was... Everybody was right there with you and you were right there with everybody and it was that same thing that you experienced when you were at the Nick Cave show Yeah, how do you why would you not want to be there? 
I mean, that's the thing that always bugs me out when I see celebrities who want to be distant. I'm like, why? It's such a bummer. Like, you could be here with us. <laughs> us why, is why messy, Amanda. There? Us is messy. It's easier to... But it's it's it, sexier. I know. <laughs> but those people are going to die without the sexiness in their life. And we're gonna, we're gonna, we're all gonna grow as old as we get, at least being free and happy. I feel like, but that's the thing, though, is it's like, who's, who's more free and happy? That person who's excluded because they're either better than, or, you know, they have their money, they don't need people, or you. I know the answer to that. I know the answer to that. I mean, what's so interesting to me, especially now that time has gone by, is all of our. All of our MTV idols, like the people who formatted me, because the the older I get, the more I love looking back at that. Like yeah. I love looking back at ten year old Amanda and what she was watching. There was WZOU on the radio station, and there was MTV. That was those were my cultural channels. Mm -hmm. There was Madonna, Prince, and Michael Jackson, the Holy Trinity. Right, right. You know, and then yeah. there was also, there was Wham, there mm. was Duran Duran, there was yep. Cyndi Lauper, there was all this other stuff, but like the holy trinity of Madonna, Prince, and Michael Jackson, you know, that, that was it. They yeah. were like the building blocks of what, you know, giant music culture was, to me at least. And then you look at them, well, or who's left of them, mm -hmm. and you and you kind of like, you try to trace the story and I remember how I felt when I was 10. Like, they have everything. Yeah. They must be so happy. Yeah, yeah. Like, I remember thinking that, like, they must be mm -hmm. so happy. Mm -hmm. They could have everything they want, so of course. They have all the things. Yeah. They, they won. Yeah, they they won. won at life. <laughs> and everyone is like, yes, they won at life. The poster you're putting up on your wall says that they won at life. This is where you're headed. And we know the truth. They did not fucking win at life. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I am just grateful that like there were enough people around me to point me in some other direction. Like, yes, there's that. There's also this, mm -hmm. like this door, this door, this band, this, you know, there's folk, there's punk, there's people doing it together, yeah. not separating, connecting. Like, let's do this together. Let's mm -hmm. just be here, us, now. Fuck celebrity. Fuck commercialism. Fuck the system. Like, and what it was- What have you missed out on? What have you missed out on? By what? not going that route? Nothing. Maybe more, maybe a little bit more money? But what would money buy me? And I mean, I, I have, I've thought about this a lot recently because um, especially because of the feminist movement, and I have had to do a lot of my own unpacking about how much I, have, like, how steeped my brain was and how programmed I was to just compare myself to other women, especially women very much like me, hmm. which is what we do hmm. as women. You know, the people who are like right in our lane, right beside us. I call it the piano string theory. It's like two piano strings that are just ever so slightly out of tune sound mm -hmm. wildly out of tune. Mm -hmm. You know, whereas if it's all kind of out of tune, it's good. But yeah. like we're taught to be so 
scarcity driven and so competitive and to fight for our one scrap and the one place at the table. And especially in the music industry, like I still do it and I still have to check myself, you know, looking at Regina Spector, looking at Fiona Apple, looking at Tori Amos, looking at Lady Gaga, looking at Madonna and going like, well, you know, what do they have that I don't have? And why do they get it? Mm -hmm. Instead of like, oh, look what she's doing. That's cool. Look what she's doing. That's different. Like, and I, I, I realized after being mindful enough for a long enough time, oh, fuck, like, why am I, why would I think like that? Why am I thinking like that? Who taught me to think like that? Where did this come from? Why is it so normal? And you see it everywhere. And, you know, it is true that I could have, like, I'm a good performer, I'm talented, I'm a good musician, I'm a good songwriter. I could have just, like, signed the deal and gone down the pop track if I'd wanted to. If I had only had, you know, Madonna as a template, mm. that would have been the only choice. Right. But I also had Fugazi and the Slits mm -hmm. and Crass and the legendary Pink Dots as a template. And I think one of the things that I was lucky to experience was to not collide with success too early. You know, if I had been picked up at 19 and someone had noticed my talent and been like, so which deal do you want? Yeah, yeah. I would have been like, well, I don't know, probably the Madonna deal. Mm -hmm. um, You'd be but, playing Vegas right now. Right. I don't think I would be happy. I don't know. But I think my chances at happiness would have been diminished because I think... The gauntlet that you have to walk to be happy at that level is just like knives, 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 knives. Like you've got to be a fucking ninja to, <laughs> to walk that path and get there and still be well-adjusted, happy with love, with friends, with a sense of peace. Like, I don't know how possible it is. Not possible for a lot of people. I wonder how many more of you there are out there and <laughs> if we're going to end up continuing planting fake plastic trees or if we're going to like really, if, if these young people are going to come up and go, hmm, this thing's fucking antiquated. Well, it's really, Let's get real. It's so freaky to me right now. And I, I have actually been talking about this a lot with, especially with select friends who are my age group. We grew up like our posse, which is to say like the indie alternative punk, whatever, like, you know, the other, mm -hmm. the non-mainstream people. And there's a lot of us and there were a lot of us, especially like in the 90s when being alternative became a thing. Yeah. And we just had a code of non-commercialism. Mm. We just had an understanding that like selling out was fucking stupid. You don't do ads. You don't do sponsorship. Like, you just don't. Yeah. Like, you don't even discuss that. Yeah. That's just part, part of... It's not part of this world. It's not part of this world. Yeah. And, like, and why is obvious. Like, you don't use your art to sell their product. That's what we're fighting against. Mm -hmm. Are you stupid? Yeah. And this was so obvious to all of us. It was just part of the code of ethics up there with, like, don't be a dick and don't be racist. Mm -hmm. Like, don't sell your music to ads. Yeah. 
That adds to the problem. Those are the people that we're fighting. Mm -hmm. None of that is true anymore, at least in the general code of people that I'm running into who are 25. Hmm. Yeah, it's not there. It's not there, and I think part of why it's not there is perhaps we had a luxury that they don't have of, you know, getting money from other sources. Mm. And now I think as far as a lot of those kids are concerned, that is where the money comes from. If you want to be an artist and get paid, those are the people That's paying you. Yeah. That's how you can get and keep the job. Mm -hmm. And if I have a, like, flag to wave, it's like, no, you don't. You don't have to fuck with that shit. No, you don't have to fuck with that shit. And getting a brand sponsorship should not be your goal in life as an artist. Oh my God, just please, like, come talk to me. Mm -hmm. I will help. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and what I'm doing with Patreon is the is the direct antidote to that. Mm -hmm. It's like, would you rather sell your soul to Doritos or Oakley sunglasses or Ford, or would you rather ask your 3,000 fans to all give you a dollar, which would you rather? Mm -hmm. And a lot of it is about the narrative, because if this feels uncool, it will be uncool. And if this feels cool and acceptable, that's the fucking open door number one. But this does not take us to a good place. That takes us to a two and a half hour show <clears throat> where you come out for an encore and you play the hits. This other road is I do what I want because those people in the audience are the ones who put this together in the first place. Yeah, and well, I owe it to them to not only put on a good show and to do a good job. Like you said, you're a professional. You can do that. Instead, it's like, no, I'm showing you the benefit of taking this other route. Right. And that and is like, I can do what I want without someone telling me. Right. And I mean, what's insane is that if you go the Doritos route, I mean, you're choosing disconnection. Mm. you're choosing serving a weird master. And if you take this route, you're only serving them and thereby you. And it, it all seems so obvious to me because I've been like swimming in these waters for a really long time and it all looks really clear to me. Yeah. But I don't know how I would feel right now if I were 24 in 2019 and I'm, you know, and a good songwriter and trying to decide whose money to take, who to ask for help, how to navigate this system that just doesn't make any sense. When I was that age, like, there was no internet. Mm -hmm. Like, it was either you get a label deal or you just keep making tapes and selling them to your fans. Yeah. That transaction, um, you know, your book talks obviously a lot about this, but that transaction of, you know, waiting outside of the show, holding a hat, that transaction now looks like Patreon, yeah. right? What's the next iteration of that, do you think? Well, you can pare things down and down and down, but once you get to the bottom, it's just me asking you, will you help me? Mm -hmm. You can't get more basic than that. Right. <clears throat> the other iterations, the Doritos, the labels, the publishers, whatever, is like these people are gonna help you get my thing. You're gonna give them some money. They're gonna split it up. They're gonna give me a cut. But once you get down to like, fuck these people, fuck Doritos, fuck the labels. Like, if I give you this, will you give me five bucks? Mm -hmm. Or will you give me five bucks so that I can just make this and, and pay my rent? Yeah. Like, this isn't worth five bucks. That's a fucking construct. You know, this is just yeah. this. 
Yeah. Does this make you cry? <laughs> Do you want it? Um, and, yeah. you know, and you can't get, that's the end of the line. Once you get there, you can't get more direct. Mm. You know, I'll give you this. You help me out. Let's let's you and me do this yeah. without yeah. all of them. Yeah. And then once you get there, like mm-hmm. that's it. That's as far as you can get. That's it. That's like game over. You've you've beaten the system, and you get to just be free. It's one thing if you're just like an artist making some music and then going around and playing your guitar. It's another thing if you're trying to make, you know, giant animations and you all of a sudden are employing 300 people and you're wondering if you're going to start to turn into the Death Star without noticing. Because it can happen. It has and it can. Yeah, you're right. It's a weird place to navigate. You know, your Kickstarter, you know, most funded music Kickstarter in history. So you, you can relate a little bit. Yeah. Give us some advice. Because I'm sure that was wild for you, right? It was wild. What? I was, and I was high. The way you guys probably are. I was just like, fuck. Like, so high on so many levels. Like, first of all, fuck everybody who never believed in me because I told you so. Uh-huh. There's a little bit of that <laughs> going around. <laughs> Second of all, like... I am never going to have to answer to any motherfucker again mm-hmm. who didn't believe in me because you never did. And what I do is real and has value. And I don't care what anyone says about it. Look, this is real. I now have proof this is real. Guess what, everybody? This is, Oh, you're not even listening, but whatever. <laughs> I know it's real. And... Yeah. You know, and that kind of validation, especially after being a fringe, maligned, weirdo, always other kind of kid. And then in a band that was always like, we were the weird ones. We were never cool. We were the Dresden Dolls. The Boston music scene hated us. We were the gay mime band. Mm -hmm. We were never invited to the party. Yeah. Ever. Yeah. And we were, you know, we were a posse and we were like, fuck your party. We have our own party. A party where everything is allowed. Everyone belongs. We're allowed to have feelings. Fuck your system. Fuck being cool. Fuck your plaid shirts. We're not going to stare at our shoes. We're going to look at you and be like us doing this now. Family, community, punk rock. Here, let's do it. Like, have a feather boa. Here's a drink. Let's do this shit. Yeah. And... We really, really believed in it. So getting the validation just from our community of like, yes, more of this, Mm -hmm. please. We believe in this. When the whole system was like, like. Your whole life, your whole fucking life. And then, and then your people fucking show up and they go, they go, I'm out here for this shit. I'm out here for this shit. I want more. And it was like. Uh, Hallelujah. And so it's a validating feeling. It's, right. It validates not just you as a person and fills those little things of like, yeah, I feel, but it validates what you stand up for. That's that transcends 
just the dollar amounts. Every that dollar amount, because I think about this with our Kickstarter, and that's the internal conversation we're having all the time. That's not a dollar amount. That's a group of people. It's people. That's, that's a group exactly of fucking exactly people. what I said to Matthew because I hadn't seen the Kickstarter and I brought it up on my phone and I was like, "Uh, oh, it's a lot of money, but whatever." That's a lot of people who believe in you, and that is a very special kind of power to know that your tribe is that with you. And I also know that along with all of that and a huge high comes like dealing with the admin. Mm -hmm. Oh my God, like now we have to do this and we have to do this and we're tired and our relationships and our friendships and where do we go and this is falling apart and how do we scale? Like the boring, bullshit, mundane swamp of everyday life it goes hand in hand mm -hmm. with this high feeling of like, it's all gonna work out amazingly. Oh my God, here we're like headed for the stars. And- I can tell you with full confidence, none of us have any fucking clue what to do. I'm with you. And the I, best part I didn't of it- either. The best part of it is all of us leaving here and going to get drinks and a lot of sighing, a lot of collective uh. sighing and a lot of how do we the question I hear asked the most often around this place is the reason why I spend all my time here. And the, the, the thing that most people say is how do we protect this? Yes. Not are we gonna get the shit out to everybody on time? Not is the fucking show gonna turn out good? Yeah. The reason why I'm choosing to live my life with these people is because yes, we have people that are figuring all that stuff out with us. Yeah. But every one of these people is trying to figure out just how do we keep this thing Safe. Safe. Did you feel, you felt that way too? I'm sure. Oh, this yeah. Thing, like... Well, I, I didn't have some of the problems that you're having because I, I already had my album. I mean, my album was finished right. when I did that Kickstarter. I mostly got to just go like reap the benefits of, but I also, I misjudged and miscalculated a lot. Yeah, same. <laughs> a lot. So first of all, uh, I had a naive assumption. If you go back and you watch this three years from now, like I'll be sort of like that like ghostly Indiana Jones night where I'd like choose wisely. Um, <laughs> I thought that the immensity of my million dollar Kickstarter, you know, and the faith that my fans all had in me to be like, oh my God, yes, yeah. this, your yeah. record, yes, we want it, would translate somehow into other people outside this community wanting what I had. Mm. It didn't really work that way. Yeah. Um, and that led to some financial miscalculations because I was like, oh, like the Kickstarter is great, but like wait till the record comes out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it's going to yeah. be massive and it's so good. And I know it's good because I've already recorded. This is the best fucking record I've ever recorded. It is so good. It has the bed song on it. It has Do It With A Rockstar on it. It has Want It Back on it. It has The okay. Killing Type on it. It has Trout Heart Replica on it. Like these are the best songs I've ever written. And I've written some good fucking songs and this shit is gold. Mm -hmm. And everyone's going to love it. And that didn't happen. The record came out. It was critically hailed. 
it wasn't very well distributed. It wasn't very well promoted because I wasn't on a label. Mm -hmm. And it just fell off a cliff. Most of the copies of the record that were sold went to my Kickstarter supporters. Mm. And I was shocked. And then the other thing I miscalculated, which is like a really boring, nerdy thing, but you know, you can apply it to the scale of your Kickstarter. I decided on a kind of a whim in a meeting with my team one day that it would be a really good move during the Kickstarter campaign to offer free international shipping because I thought that it would just be offset by the sales. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah and I was yeah. like, whatever, like, we'll just offer free shipping to Europe, Australia, New Zealand. Like, it'll cost us money, but it'll make us money. Right. Let's just do it. Bad idea! <laughs> that bill finally came in. Uh, it was $350,000. To just ship the stuff? To just ship the stuff. No one actually went to the post office and was like, do not offer, do not free, offer free shipping, shipping to New Zealand. Because <laughs> guess how much it costs to send a hand-painted mm -hmm. record player mm -hmm. to New Zealand? Mm -hmm. A, a lot. Ton. <laughs> yeah, a lot. fuck ton. And like, we were naive. Yeah. Yeah. No one on my team was like, let me crunch those numbers before we offer that on the Kickstarter. Well, they were problems you didn't so, you didn't think didn't to know. have a setup for because you didn't know it was going to happen. We ran into that when our stretch goals, we were out of them a few hours into the Kickstarter. And we're yeah. like, guys, our people fucking showed up. Oh, cool. Yeah, nice. No, 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 no. Like, they showed up. We are, this is yeah, not, these, this, this thing is, is not stopping. Yeah, like, but and it's such like, a good problem to have. It's a good have. problem. And, you know, you're... What you're creating isn't what I was creating. Mm. You know, I was a single artist, one woman in charge, one mm. record. A finite, completed, mm -hmm. deliverable mm -hmm. product. Mm -hmm. That's not what you guys are doing. You're yeah. doing something way bigger. And, you know, once my record was done, I didn't have to find a way to distribute it. I mean, I sort of did. And yeah. But what you're creating is something that is hopefully you know going to lift off and then stay lifted have its own life you know create its own empire mm -hmm. like who knows yeah. what's going to happen after this so but well you know also what i learned about kickstarter is that i didn't want to do it again it wasn't replicable it was a one-time proof of concept and then i moved to patreon which you know had far less supporters but it was sustainable. Mm -hmm. The Kickstarter mm -hmm. was like a big flashy thing. And also another piece of advice that I would give you and a thing that I learned at the time is I just assumed that taking all the attention and doing all the interviews with Time and Forbes and Fast Company and like all of this mainstream media came to me like shoving a microphone in my face like this amazing thing, yeah. how did you do it? And I was like, oh my God, of course I'm gonna talk to you, your time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. None of that helped me. Mm. It maybe helped them. It gave them some content. No one who watched Time magazine then went and then then went and got my record and listened to the bed song. And that narrative and and also like the thing that really bit me in the ass that year is the narrative around Amanda Palmer mm. became a narrative about money. Controversy, yeah, the right. whole bullshit. But all the controversy, everything was about the money. Money. 
Something no, you've never been about. Something, something I've never, never been about. Been about. All and of a sudden, you're right. hitting the mainstream beca- about that. And thing. there was an inherent naivete and stupidity that I had around that. Because I just assumed, like, people will come for the money conversation because that's flashy and shiny. Yeah. But they'll stay for the music. Mm. They did not stay for the music. They came for the conversation about the money. And then, you know, like... Yeah. I was left with like, you yeah. know, like dirty coke stained bloody dollar bills on the floor. Like that that's so not what I'm about. Mm-hmm. And it it hurt my feelings to think that for, for a lot of people out there and this will be true for you guys. Like there'll be a lot of people out there who will never hear about you again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And who will never really understand mm. what this world is. Mm-hmm. And what you create and what you do and what this is because they just live on another planet. Yeah. But they're going to carry a narrative about you and you don't want that narrative to be about the wrong thing. But how did you deal with that when you, when you, what you just said? I just cried all the time. (laughs) (laughs) We're going back to what you're saying though about caring about what people think. You want them to see the real you. Your whole thing is, here's the real me. So when a piece of print comes out, some fucking clickbait bullshit, that's like, oh, this person is doing this thing. So you cried, but then you went, that's not me. I'm okay. Yeah, I mean, my biggest resource still to this day and, and the way I dealt and the way I deal is... I engage as much as I have to and I look around and I try to be savvy and take it all in and try to understand why people are saying what they're saying and try to ignore the criticism and, you know. Hmm. But the only way to actually like navigate through that insanity is to work. This is what I've found. And Neil and I talk about this a lot too. Like, as long as you keep making, you will make your way out. Hmm. You will like create, paint, write your way out of everybody else's yammering circus parade. But you have to make sure that you have time and focus to not just join the circus. Because the circus only happened because you made something. And a lot of people just like, once the circus happens, like, that's it. The mm. making's over and the circus begins yeah. and goodbye. Yeah. You will never be seen as a maker again. <laughs> and it's very hard. Do you know um, Elizabeth Gilbert? Yes. So Elizabeth, Elizabeth Gilbert has this, I've seen her give this little speech that she does about continuing to create. Mm-hmm. And after Eat, Pray, Love, like, so Eat, Pray, Love, it was like this. Wait, like, wasn't it a TED Talk? No, oh, okay. she it's did different. do a great TED yeah, talk. Yeah, I saw that she, one, the she creativity told, one. She told this story in a uh, like a book event that mm-hmm. I saw her do. And she's talking about how Eat, Pray, Love came along and it just like, <laughs> like it was just like a, you know, a firestorm avalanche of success. Who'd have thunk it? Yeah. She was just not prepared. And this circus began, and she, it was a great metaphor. And she's like this loud, like this this deafeningly loud circus was just always right outside her door. Mm. 
And then the metaphor continues. This is so beautiful because I totally have been there and you can probably understand right now how this feels. And she had to be able to like close the door. She still could vaguely hear the sounds of like this blaringly loud circus parade going mm-hmm. on outside her door, like fireworks, clowns, drums, cymbals crashing. And just close the door and go, I'm going to sit down at my table and I'm still going to write. Like anytime I want, like, like open the door and like you can, the circus will just blare into you and then you can close the door again. But Mm. if you don't close the door and like, just keep your head down and keep creating, that's not going to end. That's just always going to be there. Yeah. You can just, you can open up your window anytime Mm. and it'll just. Yeah. And as an artist, this is your job. Yeah. As a creator, this is your job. Like, are you going to have the ability to, like, take a deep breath? It's an exciting circus. They're offering me free drinks. I'm going to close the door Mm. and I'm going to make something. Mm. Yeah. And I'm going to have to make something good. Yeah. Yeah. Fucking hell. Okay, I'll so call you in two weeks. Please do. <laughs> call me every day. <laughs> I'll see how you're doing. Okay, so I'm thinking about this book. I'm thinking about this record. I'm thinking about this tour, right? Boom, 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 boom. What now? Like, what What the fuck are you going to do next is the biggest question on my mind. Because I wonder. I, I don't know. But I don't need to know. I'm happy not knowing. Yeah. Not this. Nothing like this. Mm-hmm. This is going to just be this and it will have been this. This is its moment. This, this is, is its it. moment. But after this, I I miss the Dresden Dolls. So I think we're going to hopefully do another project. And um, I might try to write a book about all of this. I hope so. Will yeah. you please? Sure. I'll, I'll give you some money. Pre-order it. I'll pre-order it. I'll do a Kickstarter. Free shipping to New Zealand. Every book comes with a free 90-pound turntable. No, 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 no. (laughs) Yeah, I I also, I have a kid. Happy Mother's Day. Thanks. Hey. Hey. Um, And having a kid has changed my feelings about movement and time. Mm. Because I really like being with him a lot. I just love hanging out with him. He's so funny. He's just such an enjoyable friend. Yeah. And I don't want to miss his childhood being on tour. Mm-hmm. So Neil and I found a way to kind of negotiate this tour where we're mostly together. Yeah. And I broke, you know, the reason I'm playing such giant venues is so I could, you know, just like get it all done in one huge yeah. swing. But Instead of doing two or three times as many dates. Yeah, and instead of doing like nice, I mean, I would have so much preferred to do this show in theaters of 500 people. I thought that last night. I it it didn't affect the show at all being in that big of a place. But I thought last night. I thought it's better when it's smaller. It's just better. It's better to be able to look at everybody and take it all in. And but you know, doing a run of eight shows in New York and a run of eight shows in Chicago and a run of eight shows in LA would have been a lot of time. And a lot of nights that I couldn't put my kid to bed. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I'm going to not do that. Yeah. That's a trade-off. So, yeah. And it's fine. And then, you know, this tour is going to wrap up 
probably in the fall of 2020. It's a while. And then I'll probably take a breather, spend some time with my kid. And then if the Dresden dolls gear up, which I'm hoping we do, that'll that'll take some time. Yeah. A book will take some time. So like I have all those things I can do. And I also might just like, you know, fuck it all, rip up the script, go to India, join an ashram. I'm in. <laughs> I'm in. That's a, we'll, we'll all go, go to Hawaii. You. We'll all go to Hawaii. We'll all go to Hawaii. Plan. That'll be 2022. 2022. We'll I'll put it there. in my... This will all be behind you. We'll be laughing about this. I woke up laughing at myself last night because I was a drunken, crying mess with my friends after the show. And I was like, how the fuck am I going to interview? I threw up, I threw everything away. <clears throat> I woke up. I rewrote everything. I threw it all away. I felt last night and I feel like tonight... You know, that feeling where you're like, someones they're looking into my soul. They can, like, see into my soul. Last night, I was like, she gets me. I've never met her before. She gets me. I know that's the connection that Matt and Marisha have always had to you is, like, she's our people. Mm. She's one of the people teaching us who our people are and how to look for them and how to live life with them together. It's messy. It's shitty. It's not polished or pristine. Nor should it but be. But I'm happy. Yeah, we have to be really careful about what we think about perfection and it, if it even exists. It's really nice things not being all right mm -hmm. sometimes. I mean, they never will be. Yeah, there's always something. Oh, yeah. Everything's easier when you can get to that place and be not alone. Mm-hmm. So one thing I didn't feel last night at that show was alone. Mm. Furthest thing from me. And I was in a room full of strangers, but none of us were strangers because the thing we all have in common is we all respect the living fuck out of you. And we wanted to be there to share. I, I, it was cool to be, it was cool to be you at the Nick Cave concert last night for some of your pain. I felt, I felt un, unqualified, but still just special to experience that. I, I, uh, I wanted to say thank you. Thank you. It meant the world to me. I am so happy. And talking to you today was even better. This so. is great. I could do this all day. We should. Now you have more shit to get to. <laughs> and you have a kid to get to. I do. I get to see him tonight. Thank you so much, Amanda. Cheers, my friend. Cheers, my friend. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast version of our show. Between the Sheets airs monthly at twitch.tv slash critical role at 7 p.m. Pacific on Monday nights and is available on youtube.com slash critical role the following Wednesday. To stay up to date on future guests joining me for a cocktail and conversation, follow at Critical Role on Twitter.